Welcome to the show, Paul George here. I kind of hear a little bit of jingle bells in that music. Yeah, you need a better producer who can find Christmas music when it's two days before Christmas. I know, man. You're such a slacker. I am. Ching, anyway. Ching, ching, ching. There's your bells, bud. <laughs> well, there were some, like, some bells in there. Anyway, Paul George here, <laughs> Adam Conk. How you doing, man? I'm great. It's it's Christmas week. I know someone said this already, but it's the most wonderful time of the year. Yeah, so what's your favorite holiday? Okay, on the deep level, Easter, because it's the most meaningful. But on the emotional level, Christmas. Christmas. I love Christmas. Yeah. I do. Yeah, yeah. What about you, you? Have you ever dressed up like Santa Claus and brought presents? No. Okay. Have you? No. I'm not a dress-up kind of guy. No, me neither. No, me neither. Yeah. But, I, I mean, I love watching people open up presents. Heck, yeah. It's kind of cool. Heck, yeah. yeah. What's, I mean, what's going down at the George house over these next few days? Well, you know, we have this new kid, and, um, you know, we have teenagers, and life's nuts. And so what I enjoy most, I think, about Christmas, obviously Jesus is coming, that whole thing, right? Obviously. But as far as, like, holiday, is that... Um, Things slow down for a few days, and I just enjoy that downtime with the yes. family. We try not to overdo it. Uh, that's kind of our thing. Um, try not to go too many places. We try to keep it simple um, from start to finish and just enjoy each other, enjoy the time off, and then enjoy the meaning of Christmas. Yeah, I think we came to that same conclusion. I think if you're, if you're serious about celebrating Christmas on the deep level— and on the every human level, emotional, whatever, eventually come to the conclusion it's easy to overdo this, to exhaust ourselves, and we lose that deep peace and participation. So if you order it correctly and say, look, we're just not going into many places, we're not doing too many things, the first year you do that, it might be tough, but you'll see immediately it's a great decision, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's such a peaceful time. And if... Uh if anyone said, well, you know, what what can I get you for Christmas? You know, I said, well, besides a new car, <laughs> um, I think before that I would say sleep. <laughs> I'd want sleep for can Christmas. Can you watch my kids overnight? <laughs> can, for Christmas. I want to wake up Christmas morning so rested. <laughs> so rested. But anyway, you know, we are talking about Christmas. And, um, you know, I do think a lot of times the tendency for all of us, look, we all get caught up in this, is that it, it Christmas just kind of, pops up on us right and like the way a steam train it, yeah it's weird you know the way it falls this week is like everyone's working the week before christmas because christmas isn't in the middle of the week and all of a sudden the weekend hits people are going to be just slamming it last minute shopping and then christmas is on a monday and you know it, it's just i think people are waking up like right now and just thinking oh no christmas is in a few days and like the rush the anxiety um, you know, it, it's, it's all there. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and I know for some people, you know, the holidays are just a bad time. Like they have, you know, yeah. tough memories and getting through the holidays and, you know, you know, maybe it's a death or a divorce or, you know, it, it holidays bring up a lot of emotions. And mm -hmm. I think what can get lost in that is that uh, we just try to pretend like everything's great. And I think the greatest gift of Christmas, obviously, is the fact that Jesus came into the world in the midst of a really crazy time. And, uh, you know, a lot of times, I don't know about you, you think, yeah, when Jesus Jesus came, he was so cute and uh, such a beautiful time in history. And the reality is that's not true. Mm -mm. I mean, he came into a world that's sinful and crazy. Uh, he landed in, in, in a world... Uh, under dictatorship, under murder, 
uh, under, you know, horrible times. He was born in a cave. Uh, you know, um, his, his family was wondering. They didn't have a place to go. Uh, and that's the world that Jesus came into. And that, to me, and as for a Christian, we, we should be comforted by that. Yeah, and you mentioned the anxiety of the season, which is at a pitch, and the Holy Family, they were right there with us. I mean, for their first Christmas, can yeah. you imagine a more anxious yeah. time? Right. Uh, leading up to it, following it. And so, you know, God's so smart in his wisdom, but he He chose to come into the world not with all the ducks in the row. Right. But to come in the world the way that we experience the world a lot of times, which is with a lot of suffering and anxiety. Yeah, and here's the invitation for us is that, you know, if you're having anxiety or fear or worry, financial struggles and, you know, thinking about what's next or you're depressed or... Uh, you know, or even if you're joyful um, and everything's great, uh, here's the comforting thing that we have is that Jesus comes to us in the midst of those things, yep. not on the outside of that. And I th- that's what the incarnation's about. That I think we miss oftentimes is that th- this whole Jesus coming and, and entrance into the world is kind of over here. Mm-hmm. And what God shows is that Jesus comes into our world and into our lives and wants to engage us relationally in the midst of the chaos of our lives, like not on the outside of it. And I think we, we oftentimes want to, you know, you know kind of either have it all together or even have this mindset is like, well, you know, God doesn't belong in the midst of what I'm feeling right now. And that's just the opposite. He does. I'm so glad you brought this up because the holidays are a time when year round, if our attitude is one that, you know, there's this God thing over here that I may or may not participate in. Mm-hmm. Maybe I've been away from him a while. I, I intend to go back to him someday, somehow. Well, Christmas kind of highlights that tension. And for a lot of us, um, we feel with religious things, whether it's going to Mass for Christmas or whatever, we feel like either we don't belong or it's just kind of foreign to us. And so we keep a distance year-round. But at Christmas, it's a time for God to come close to us. I mean, how do we... As you talk to people that are in that situation constantly, all right, right. these people that, for whatever reason, are away from the church, how does something click to where we realize, no, Jesus is actually for us, like yeah. not for the me that I could be, for the me I am right now? So I'm, I want to make this connection for people because uh, it's been huge for me. It, it's, a, it's a real connection. It's a theological connection. It's a reality. So uh, Jesus is born in Bethlehem. They evacuate the Holy Family there uh, because of a census. Um, so Jesus is born in Bethlehem, and then an angel appears to Joseph and says, you need to evacuate in the middle of the night. Uh, Herod is going to kill every male child two years and under, right? So we see this slaughter of innocent children. We read in Scripture, it's horrific. And so in the middle, middle of that, the Son of God is evacuated into Egypt, okay? Well, what's significant about that? Here's what's significant about that. Uh, in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, the people of God are freed from slavery of Egypt, from the onslaught of the Egyptians and the Pharaoh. And Moses, uh, God uses Moses to set the people free. Uh, from where? Egypt. Okay. Uh, so they're freed from Egypt, and they go through the Red Sea and the Promised Land. It's a long story. We can talk more about it later. But but here's the connection. Uh, there is a significant connection between the new Moses, who is Jesus, the one who truly comes to set people free. And there's a 
significant theological connection to the fact that Jesus evacuated back into Egypt to set us free for good. So he goes into our Egypt, sets us free for good, and says, now we're going to come back out of that Egypt and we're going to start a new life. And so, you know, however long he was there till the death of Herod, we know that he, he comes out of Egypt, the Holy Family, into Nazareth where he was raised. And that's significant for all of us, significant for me and anyone who's listening, is that Jesus comes into our Egypt to set us free. What is that for you? Where are you in your relationship or lack of relationship with God or the church? Let God come into that and meet you there and begin to set you free. Uh, and walk with you from your Egypt into Nazareth, this new life that he has for you. And I think that's the good news of the gospel, is that he has a new life for us. We're not, we're not inadequate enough to where God forgot us. No. Right? Like, there's nothing, no matter what our past is, no matter what our future is, there's a life that God has given to us that we can, we can find in him. And I think a lot of times we just assume that we're not lovable or that, we're not living our life in such a way that God would give us the attention we need. He's almost like this, this over-demanding father or something that we don't even want to go talk to because we know we've disappointed him. And it's just such a tragedy. Yeah. Okay. God took the time and the forethought to send Jesus back into Egypt. Mm. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to... He, like, I don't really have time for that. We can skip that step. He didn't skip that step. Like, that's a significant step to show us that, like, you know, not only we know this by the incarnation, Jesus becoming man, that God would go through anything to prove his love to us. For God so loved the world, right, that he sent his only son, Jesus, into our world. But he would take significant steps in that to continue to prove, this is why I'm here, to set you free to bring you new life. There's nothing, no excuse, no circumstance, no regret, no sin, no pain that we can that we can have that is too big for Jesus. Mm. And we can rest with that and let him enter into our Egypt so he can walk us out of it. He can walk us out of that Egypt. So anyway, I, I hope everyone engages in Christmas and uh, the true you know reality of Christ there. Let him meet with you wherever you are. And if you go back to church for the first time and it's the only time you've gone this year, may it be a new beginning for you. Even if you don't get it, you don't fully understand, God knows that, and he'll meet you there, and he's going to do great things in your life because of that. So anyway, it's the Paul George Show. I'm excited about our guest next. We'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you, Paul George here. Really excited about my West Coast guest this morning, Chris Mueller, my friend, my companion. How you doing out there, man? I'm doing good, Paul. How are you doing? 
Great. Thanks for taking the time. I know it's early out there because we're two hours different. Um, so, but it's, you got a little peace and quiet early in the mornings, right? Because you got this family, a lot of kids rolling around. Are they even up yet? Uh, you know, they should be getting up right now if the alarm happened. So I, you know, and this is, this is one of those disciplines I have struggled with, but I, I've been trying to get up early, like an hour earlier than the household to just get out and do my, my time of prayer, you know, just to, to, just to say to the Lord, I want to be present to you. And, and honestly, I'm just getting back into it. So I've been doing this now for about a week, getting back into routine. I had a car accident in August, which kind of knocked me out of everything. And, um, so I gotta tell you, it's, I've learned in this week of, of getting up early to be present to the Lord that I'm probably just terrible at being present to anyone. Uh, <laughs> and that's why God's called me to do this right now, I think. Welcome to ADD Fatherhood, man. We're all there. So uh, talking to Chris Mueller out in California, Southern California, um, chrismueller.co. You can find him on Twitter, at C. Mueller. Um, you do good stuff, bro. Uh, you're in full-time ministry work, you and your family. But uh, this is a off subject question because this kind of freaks me out you're close to the california fires oh yeah like, no, we actually we had a at the end of our street i mean on thursday last week uh the end of our street was the evacuation line for one uh and it was crazy because i was on the phone with my mom because she was in the evacuation zone for one down in north county san diego and i was saying you know you gotta gotta pay attention you don't know when they're gonna tell you, you gotta leave and all that kind of stuff and I was in a drive-through at McDonald's, and I was looking from the drive-through towards where my house is, and I saw a fire like behind our house. And I was like, "Mom, I got to go. I think our house is going to burn down too." So <laughs> you know, it's just it, like, those, what's the feeling? Because so so you know, we have hurricanes here. You guys have fires, and and yep. when I travel to other parts of the country that don't have hurricanes, they're like, "How do you do it?" And I'm like, "Well, you have forewarning. You know that you kind of know when to evacuate and yada yada." And so that's like the only like reprieve that you have or like consolations like, well, we, we got out of there. Uh, is it right. the same with fires? I mean, this isn't like a little like campfire. This stuff spreads and like just burns everything, including homes and cars and people die like it's, yeah. it's bad. Yeah, it's, you know, very tragically, there was a firefighter who just passed away um, from our from our area, you know, the greater Southern California area, um, just like yesterday fighting fires up north. And so. Yeah, it is. It's scary. You know, they don't happen as often as it appears. And, and California is, you know, it's a giant state, obviously. Uh, but yeah, it, when they come, it's a scary thing. And we haven't really had one right here in our neck of the woods. And I don't know, it's been a while. So this was, you know, I think I think with this particular fire that we had, you know, in our in our neighborhood here, We've been watching what happened in Northern California. We've been watching what's going on in Oxnard and, and kind of the that northern Los Angeles area. And then there was the southern – there was the San Diego fire that day. And so, I mean, when I even saw the smoke, I started thinking, okay, what do we need to grab to get out of the house? And, it, yeah, it's – they you know, with the conditions, it's been so dry. It's been windy. Things just blow up. Um, so, yeah, you – you there are some people – like I, I – our junior high coordinator – was uh, much closer to the fire, and he actually could not get back to his place to grab stuff. Oh, um, it was just yeah. there was too much, and it, obviously, we did well. We only lost one structure uh, in our town in that fire. So, you know, praise God, they they really I mean they really got on top of it fast here. Yeah, it's nuts. You know, when I was out in California this year, I was just talking to people, just random conversation, and they were like, "Yep, yeah, it hadn't rained here in over a year." 
I'm like, what? Right. Like, is that possible? Like, we get 50 to 60 inches a year here. Like, everything's <laughs> lush and green. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you can plant a toenail and a toe will grow. Like, everything's just so fertile. And they're like, no, it just, it just doesn't rain. I'm like, that's that's nuts, which makes sense how dry it is. Okay. So, anyway, talking to Chris Mueller. Uh, you can find chrismuller.co, uh, great website. Uh, you're a speaker, an author, a dad, of course, a husband. Uh, you're, you work full-time in a church um, out there. Uh, what's life like for you guys? You, you guys are expecting your sixth kid. Um, you know, I'm kind of in the middle of that right now. We just had one, right? So what's it like for you guys as a big family? Uh, it's, it, I mean, it's blessed. It's There's something super cool about seeing, you know, your toddler climbing on your, your teenager. You know, there's something, and, and I grew up that way. I'm number six of seven kids. And so my my older brother, uh, you know, I call him vice dad. You know, he was he was just that, the other sounding board. My sister has always been this lioness in my life, you know, and she was about 14 years older than I am. Uh, and so it's kind of neat to see that happening, but it's insane. I mean, we're we're a big family growing up in a world that was designed for small families. You know, it's, yeah, uh, dude. everybody's got two kids and, and we've got six and trying to keep up with that's just insane. You well, know? interpret that for me, that statement, because that that's, you know, I mean, that's so true, but like... What does that look like? What yeah. does that mean? Because our world is designed for small families, which is, is kind of weird. Well, yeah, it's, you know, I, I feel like there was this explosion of, of club sports and, and all these activities that kids are in now. And, you know, they're all great and it's all good. And there's all this, this research, I guess it says it's good for kids. Not really. But it's compass. I, I think it's compensating for a lack of family. Like when you have a big family, you don't need to go out and do something every night. You're not bored. You're not looking for stuff to do because there's always stuff happening. Um, but when you got two kids, you, you really, you're, you know, you're kind of, you've got a, you've got time to drive them from place to place. Uh, and there's that need for community, uh, that you don't have at home because you just, it's just you and your sibling, you know? And, um, so I, you know, like it's, it's crazy. Cause you think, well, if you've got two kids in club sports then you can take a kid here, you take a kid there, you meet in the middle, whatever. But when you've got you know, five or six kids, it gets to be, you know, how do you keep that pace up? How do you do that? Where do you drop off? Where do you, and, you know, I, I think, you know, if everybody had a large family, we would be looking more critically at this going, you know, how, how does this make sense? How does this work? You know? Um, and so that's one of the challenges we have is we want our kids to feel like they have, like they're part of what's going on and, and, you know, they're not being uh, left out. But in the same respect, we we also don't want to cheat them of the the incredible gift we've given them of each other. You know, we don't want, we want them to have a relationship with each other, and we don't want that to get lost in the we're running around trying to do you know club swim or gymnastics or you know water polo or all these you know all these good things. We just the greatest gift we gave them is each other. Yeah. And so yeah. You know, if they miss out on one of those other things, we want to emphasize like, well, you're not missing out. You actually have something better. You've got siblings and, and they'll be with you the rest of your life. Whereas those kids on the team, they're going to be with you for a season maybe. Yeah. You know? No. And I, I, you know, I think activities and sports, all those things are good for kids and, and their, their formation, their makeup. But honestly, I think the research is going to come back with all these club sports and travel sports. And there's not a lot of positive about it actually. Uh, so there's a lot of negative coming back in some of that research, you know, where parents, you have one or two kids, they dump everything into this, you know, activity. And then, you know, the kid, 
uh, becomes a teenager is like, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I don't want to do that ever again, you know? And there's right. very few kids who come out of that and are like, yeah, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. You know, the statistics are so small there. But anyway, right. you know, we, well, we, there's that profound sense of loss, like your last season. I mean, I, I watch kids do this all the time, like, oh, it's my last season, you know, and you're, you're 18. You, know? you, you, you shouldn't have to find a new identity when you when you stop playing soccer. Right. You know, like that should, should have been something you do, not who you are. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. No. Yeah. Having a, f a bigger family than twos, you know, weird these days, you know, we, we try, we took our kids to amusement park and it's like a package for four. Mm -hmm. And we're like, Oh, for four kids and parents. No, for four total, two parents, two kids is the package. Right. I like, well, can we, can we add to that? No, it's just going to be a big problem. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, wait, yeah. so you built this whole thing for, for four, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we were at the zoo, and I, I want to shake people sometimes and be like, "This is a place for children. Like that's what this is. <laughs> like you, you should be okay with the fact that there are kids running around because this is a place. Like it's a zoo, people. A zoo. And but you see all these like couples on dates or people with their one child, and they're kind of strolling through, and and then our our mob comes in, and it it we bring the party, you know. <laughs> Definitely bring the party. Okay. So you, you travel full-time and speak. You're also working at a church. Uh, so you're, yeah. you're a full-time ministry guy. Um, you know, before I get into this new project that you're doing, which is really cool, man, I, I just have to say is, um, g give me some news on the church right now, the young church and what you're seeing. Is there hope out there for our listeners talking to Chris Muller, uh, chrismuller.co? Um, it, give me, give me something. <laughs> wow, no pressure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think there is. I mean, we, you know, we, I've been really blessed to be in place for 13 years in the same parish, which is, you know, as a youth minister, that's not normal. I've, I've been in youth ministry for 16 years. Um, and one of the incredible fruits we've seen, and, and you know, I, I hope our parish isn't that abnormal, but like we just, I see this explosion of young families. You know, I, I uh, we go to Mass on Sunday and I look behind me and I can see, the young adults who are part of our team, you know, and, and helping us in ministry. And I, I can, I can see them sitting with their kids and, or I'll say, you know, I, I, it's one of my favorite things to walk into mass and see kids who have kids, you know, they, they've grown up, they got married and, and they're raising their family. And, you know, I have to take my toddler out. I go outside and um, I can see, uh, like I, and this happens on a regular basis. I was out there at mass the other day and I was outside with my toddler because he's a toddler and they're not civilized. Uh, they're little pagans. Uh, right. And, and I, you know, I'm watching Matt, one of our guys, uh, one of, one of our guys chasing his toddler, you know, and this is a guy who grew up in the program, you know, and I think that hope is, I think youth ministry is working and where it is working, you know, we're seeing that generational thing begin to happen that, that there, there are kids who are, who are grown up in the church and they're, they're understanding the why about the what, you know, and, and I think the more and more we can, we can explain to not explain, but introduce young people to that relationship with Jesus that makes the rules make sense. You know, point them, point them at the destination, not at the, uh, at the guardrails on the freeway. Right. You know, the more we do that, the more I see that fruit come through and it, and it takes on this generational feeling where now it's being handed on and these, you know, and I see them struggling. And I, and I think that's a challenge to the church too, is as we call, you know, as youth ministry, you know, how long have we been in youth ministry in the church? I mean, really, I don't know, like 30 years or so, um, really, really well-ish. You know, as we see that work, as we start to see it take traction, now we got to say, how do we meet these young families? You know, how do we improve our baptism program so that the welcome is solid? How do we improve that Sunday experience so that, you know, if a church that's not used to kids being in it, you know, little people making noises, 
can see those as, as a, just an incredible blessing for the future, not as a distraction from my personal time with Jesus, you know? And so I, I think there's some challenge, but I, I definitely see that and that's my experience. I just see this this kind of explosion in young families here in our community, and I go, gosh, that is so, so beautiful. It's so needed, um, and I just want to get behind it and foster it and raise it up. You well, know? I think the you know one of the the big reasons that you're seeing this explosion is because your your church parish is investing in young people. You know, there y'all are making uh, an intentional effort to say we want to reach young people. We want to do youth ministry. We want to have a youth minister. We want to reach young families. We don't want to just die out as a parish. And I think the church is having to wake up and say, Hey, you know, like, uh, it's time that we invest in people again and really make our church vibrant and your parish and what you guys are doing is, is a product of that. Yeah. Well, and you know, we have this crazy, uh, mixed blessing of we're mission, we're mission diocese. And we, expl- we kind of boomed population-wise, but we didn't boom clergy-wise. Right. And so we have these giant churches. Like my parish has 7,000 families. Um, and it's kind of an insane thing. And we probably have about 5,000 of those families who are active in any sort of, you know, uh, any recordable way. But because of that, you know, you have a large parish. Um, and you, I think you have more resources to be intentional with right. ministry. Mm-hmm. You know, I've talked to p- priests from places like New Jersey or Ohio um, or, or the Northwest, and they just, they have these beautiful, ornate churches that hold 200 people, and you want to do intentional things like youth ministry or reach out to young families or anything, but you're, they've become caretakers of, of these, these buildings, and all the money goes to d- these historic buildings, and they can't actually use that money to reach out to people. And it's, you know, I think that's been an incredible blessing for us is that, you know, we have this large parish. And so while we don't necessarily have more resources than a small parish, if we were a small parish, we're like five small parishes built into one, you know? Yeah, your parish community is about five times the size of the town I grew up in, the population. (laughs) Uh, Talking to Chris Mueller, uh, chrismueller.co, you can find him on Twitter, on his website, Okay, dude, um, you're like coming out with this project, which is really fascinating and cool. I, I didn't know you were an, an actor, man, but you got it. Uh, it's called the Chris Mueller Project. Uh, tell me about this. Like, what's the vision for this? Did you come up with this, and, and where is it going? Yeah, yeah you know, I, it, and it kind of comes out of that idea of wanting to walk with families a little bit. You know, I, I, um, I've got, like I said, I've got five kids. We've got number six coming in January, and you know, one of the things I, I love to do is I love to watch TV with my kids. Like I, I do. And, and my, my son, Jack and I had this routine when I'd pick him up from preschool, we'd come home on Fridays cause Friday's my day, my day off. And I'd make him a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and we watched a show together. And, you know, I'd ask him, what do you want to watch? And he would always ask for one of those kind of educational entertainment programs. Like in, in particular, there was a show called good eats. Um, that uh, a guy named Alton Brown does it. I, I love the show. It's a cooking show, um, okay. but it's fun and it's it's educational and it's entertaining. And we'd watch this together, and Jack would would laugh and I'd laugh, and we'd get different things, obviously. Um, but what happened was he wanted to become a chef. He said, "Well, I want to I want to be a chef." And for about three years, if this was his thing, like I'm going to be a chef, I'm going to be a chef. He'd make his he call it the the Happy Place Cafe or or the Mueller Cafe. We'd go upstairs. We'd have to go eat at his, you know, his cafe. Um, and I thought, gosh, why, why is a church? Haven't we done something like this where it's an, it's, it's a program that I can teach the faith, but it's something the family can enjoy together. 
Um, and it's something that, that is going to make it more accessible. So if you've got your, you know, your ag- agnostic dad in a, in a faithful mom, he's going to kind of get the faith through osmosis. He might sit down with his kids or he might, it might be on the background and he might chuckle, you know what I mean? Or, or he might, uh, it's something, well, I never thought about it that way. And, you know, I think one of the, the difficulties we have in the church is how do you, how do you form, how do you form people? And, and most kids encounter with, with the teachings of the church comes through, you know, their, their formation programs or confirmation prep or, and a lot of times that, that comes off like a compulsory thing. It's kind of like a catechesis at gunpoint, right? Like, well, you have to do this or you won't get that. And they're like, I don't even not sure I want that. Right. And what if there was a way to introduce kids to the teachings of the church when they're younger um, or as a, in the context of their family where it's something they look forward to watching? You know? So is, is this um, um, the Chris Mueller project? Is is this, is this a series of short films, short episodes? What is it? Yeah. So what we're doing is we're going to produce 10 episodes a season. Okay. Um, each, each episode is going to be about 15 minutes long and they'll be broken down into three segments of five minute shareable pieces. Okay. And, and these so, internet you know, watched, okay. uh, videos that you're going to pump out or, or how are they yeah. going to be viewed? Yeah. That's the goal. It's to put them on, on the web and, and just have them out there for families. I, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to build an empire. Let me put it that way. I just want to get good, good stuff out for families. And I think there's a real uh, hurdle when you say, well, you got to pay for this. Um, I don't pay for anything anymore. Or I mean, I do. I've got these subscription services in Netflix and things like that. But but in my mind, I'm not actually paying for the content. I just I just watch it. Right. Um, and I think, you know, we can that that's the economy of the Internet. Right. You put out good content and people watch and they share and uh, it finds a way to fund itself, whether that's through advertising things. We're not going to sell advertising, and we're hoping eventually that if this is something that serves people, people will just come alongside of us as kind of one of those micro donor, you know, ten, twenty dollars a month kind of a thing. But yeah, the goal is get it on the web. Um, you know, develop the list of people who are interested and, and email that out to them, and so then they can watch it and share. Yeah, no, these are really good. They're not like shot with a iPhone. Like this is really well produced, and you have a few episodes up online. Um, that people can view. How can people learn more about it, get behind it, maybe even support it? Because I know that the cost to do really good um, TV uh, is is yeah. high, you know. And, but you're you're right. really wanting to produce stuff that families can sit down and watch, and it'd be competitive with the other things that are out there. Yeah. So so they can find it if you go to chrismuellerproject.com backslash welcome, right? Um, you'll find our, our generosity page, uh, or actually you'll find our, our information page. You can watch the clip there. Um, you can also find it at, you know, my Facebook page or those things. And so it's, uh, it's C-H-R-I-S-M-U-E-L-L-E-R.com backslash well, or project.com backslash welcome. Um, and you can, you can find it there, but yeah, it's, it definitely is not cheap to do it. I, it's funny. I, I had this idea and I sat down and I wrote three scripts uh, and I was really excited about it and I started looking at it going, oh, there's just no way I can film this myself. And, uh, just that day, somebody followed me on Twitter and I was like, oh, who's this? You know, and I, I checked it out and it's a, it was a dad from our confirmation program and it turned out he had a film company. I mean, hmm. that's what he does. He's, he's a, he's a film guy. And so I just reached out and said, Hey, I saw you followed me and I'd love to talk to you about this idea. And he got kind of excited about it. Um, and he's just got the technical skills to make it look amazing. I mean, there's a scene in our, our test clip that we've got up on the web where there's three of me in yeah. the scene. Yeah, I'm looking um, at it right now. 
yeah, man. And I, it's, I, you know, I had this vision for this. I wanted this very film noir kind of detective thing. And I think people think confession and they think it's an interrogation, right? They don't think of, of the freedom of it. Um, and so why don't we show that, you know? And, and so that's one of the, that's one of the devices of the, the show is we're going to have that a continuing thing where, you know, there'll be these, these, uh, segments that happen in my, in my head essentially. Right. Um, and so it's just really cool to be able to do this kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, the total budget for a season is around $200,000. Gotcha. Right? Um, it's a lot of money, but in the context of making a, a television show, it's, it's actually a very small amount of money. Right. Um, and so, so far we've raised a good portion of that, you know, through, through private donors We're we're, I don't know, like probably like 40%. Um, and so we're just ready to start moving forward and God will provide the rest, you know? Awesome, man. That's so, so great. I want to encourage people, uh, to check it out and go to Chris's website, Chris Mueller, M U E L L E R, uh, like Bueller, um, dot com. And then you could, um, dot co dot co sorry yeah there's there's a photographer in venice california who's got dot com and uh he's a lover of all things it says on the website but i don't think jesus is one of them because he sent some very nasty emails to people who've been trying to get hold of me yeah well i you know my website's paulgeorge.la and and you can find out my information but if you go to paulgeorge.org or dot com it's a bodybuilder who barely has any clothes on a, a, a male <laughs> bodybuilder <laughs> like full just oiled you know, flexing and I'm just like, yep, that's not me. It's not me. So, yeah. Yeah. But. So Chris co is my website. And then you can also check out the, the project at Chris com backslash welcome. And that'll take you to our, our welcome page and you can see everything there. Yeah. The videos are really great, man. I'm excited about this coming out and anything I can do to support it. And then of course you got baby number six coming in a few weeks. We'll be praying for that. Uh, you and your family, your wife, and and we'll just be getting no sleep together. We'll we'll live in oh. solidarity, you and I. I just I'm tired thinking about it, and it's so terrible because my wife's, you know, she does. I, I don't I don't feed the baby at night. I can't do that. And I we've tried to do the bottle feeding thing, and they just look at me like, what What are you trying to yeah. pull? You're yeah. not the man. I you're not what I want. Yeah. And so I I I tell my wife, I'm so tired. She's like, Why are you tired? I'm like, Well, because, and it's sad. I'm like, Well, my sleep gets gets disrupted (laughs) (laughs) and she you're just like open mouth insert foot right oh there's nothing you can do but i but it still hurts anyway so yeah god bless my wife she's amazing she's uh i knew i could marry my wife because one day we were dating and i said something stupid like well this is who i am and if you don't like it that's you know this is who i am right and I literally had to jump in front of a moving car. I mean, you know, like to stop her from leaving. So and I, I will change, honey. I will be who you need me to be. Um, she's That's so strong. Funny. and I love her. I and mean, she's just amazing. So, yeah, yeah, you know, you have the right spouse when they um, motivate you to change in a good way, not not in a oh, codependent absolutely. way, in a way of like, yeah, there's some character flaws that I want to get better at because this person's not going to deal with my, uh, you know, me being, um, yeah. A lot Absolutely. of words there. Insert a lot of yeah. words there. Anyway, bro, thanks for taking the man. time, man. I know it's early there. So this is great. we got to have you back on because we can have about a 1,000 conversations. But it was great today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Paul, anytime, man. All right, man. God bless. God bless. Bye-bye. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the health care problem. Are you paying too much for your health care cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, 
Solidarity HealthShares members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Yep, it's true. I, I can hear the jingle bells in the background. <laughs> Some with bells, you hear that? <laughs> yeah, you're like, you've been the worst. <laughs> You've been the absolute worst at finding Christmas music. <laughs> we're trying to make believe that uh, we're having a Christmas edition to the show, but it's just not happening. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry. Merry weary. So anyway, uh, welcome back. Uh, where, where'd you go? Um, I was listening to Chris Mueller, and I just, I love this. Here's what I love about the Paul George show. Here's one of the things I love about the Paul okay, George show. Okay, let me have it. Is I found out about these people that I didn't even know existed mm-hmm. that have been doing great work for a long time, right? Somewhere in the church, and it fills me with hope because I'm like, oh wow, somebody is doing work like this, and this parish community exists, and it's awesome. And it also just makes me wonder, like, why don't I know about these people already? I feel confused, but now I know about them, and so I'm informed. I'm ready to follow Chris Mueller, and then I'm excited. So thanks, Paul George, for that opportunity. That's so good. Merry Christmas. <laughs> That's your gift to me is Chris Mueller this <laughs> yeah. year. Uh, so what did you learn from the show today? Well, I learned that it's possible to just do what should be done. So Chris inspires me because you know he's like, we should have this as a church. So let me just go do it. And he's done a great job. These videos are awesome. And hopefully he has the support to create lots of episodes. That's That's cool. That we live in a world where you could actually do what should be done. What did yeah. you learn? Well, I, I love talking to people who are, um, yeah, who are just intentional about like making a difference in the world. I learned that uh, I love what he said that the the you know the world's not made you know for big families or you know and and I'm like yeah I mean like we've got we've really got to change this this whole idea in our culture that we're we're kind of fighting. Uh, and I learned that. Um, Egypt is significant. It's very significant you for us. You didn't know that already? Well, I'm learning it more and more in my own life. <laughs> every day. Every day. So anyway, Merry Christmas. Adam. Merry Christmas, Paul. How about for Christmas, we do a six-pack of questions. Question. Christmas edition. Six-pack. <laughs> Number one. I think we just... <laughs> I think we really started the show thinking, whoa, Christmas is like here. No, it's true. Yeah. All right. Question number one. How did you meet Christopher Mueller? Oh, I think we've, we met, you know, through traveling, speaking at conferences, and he's been in, in youth ministry for years. And so we probably crossed paths at maybe like a training conference or something I spoke at or whatever. So you just have all these networks of relationships like that? Mm-hmm. Y'all met in some random city, doing some random talk, and now, yeah, you, know, you just know all these awesome people. Yeah, what a crazy life you live. All right, question number two. Let's talk big families for a second. So between Chris, you, and myself, we have eighteen kids. Good math. Thanks. I did that while y'all were talking. And I'm the least. Well, the least shall be the greatest. Sir. Yeah, there you go. Um, so as you travel and you meet these kinds of families all over the place, what's your impression of them? Are people that decide to have big families, are they like pushed to their limit? Are they really stressed out? Do they regret having a big family? Like what, I don't know, what What do you see in these families as you travel? 
You know, one of the biggest litmus tests for me in regards to that question is, you know, when I was younger, I did youth ministry uh, and I had a, you know, sample test of all these families, you know, uh, who would send their teenage kids, you know, the youth youth group and, and whatnot. And uh, it's it was interesting because I was always very observant of like people's history and family background and, you know, where they came from and, you know, what their dynamics were and, you know, were their parents divorced or they come, you know, they have a lot of siblings. And there were a couple of things that were always consistent, you know, as you know, before, you know, I was even married and then married and, you know, just had small kids. I was always really learning from people and these families. Here were some things that are always consistent. One is obviously kids that were the most well-adjusted came from parents who were still together, but parents who uh, were involved in their faith and then parents who were engaged in their kid's life, who were like mentors for their kids as well, and saw youth ministry as simply a supplement to that mentorship, mm. not not the mentorship, mm. a supplement to it. Uh, and then... The second part of that is that the, the bigger families who had that same setup were always the happiest. Hmm. They were always uh, the less uh, about me. They were always less selfish. They, they, they had a bigger understanding of people in the world and giving and sacrificing. And they were never, they, they always seemed more, more happy, more enjoying one another as a bigger family. And I always remember noticing that. Yeah. Well, and just to interject, this your six pack, but I'm gonna interject for a sec. But I'll, people ask me because I mean I have you know six kids at home. Um, like, how do you do it? And a lot of people talk about how two is all they could handle. They think or three. And I have yet to meet the family where they say, you know, everything was cool until we had that kid, and then our life just fell apart. And I think, but I think there's this myth out there that there is a certain limit to a family where beyond that limit, it's just unreasonable and everything falls apart. And maybe that exists out there, but I haven't, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. I always think with big families, like God takes care of them so well, there's a, there's a sense of trust, you know, and I, I tell young families like, you know, like don't stress about it. like, just start with one kid and like, God will just lead you. And, you know, some people have big families, some people, you know, can ha- only handle so many. And, and it seems like, uh, God only gives us what we can handle. Yeah. And, and, you so know, let him be in charge, man. Yeah, let him be a trust. So there right, you go. Cool. Question number three. So when it comes to youth ministry, you know, there are so many naysayers yep. in the church. Like, we shouldn't do this program. We should do that program. Mm-hmm. This program's the devil. That program's awesome. Or we should have no programs at all or whatever. There's just all these to where eventually what happens at a lot of places is we, we simply just do nothing yep. for youth. Right. So... How do how do we come about as a church to get out of this like negative conversation and and simplify things to where we could actually do something effective for the youth? Yeah, are we are people in the, in, even in the church say, well, we youth ministry isn't relevant. And we don't need it anymore. We'll just do all family catechesis, or you know, people will get it at mass and through osmosis. I'm like, yeah, in a perfect world, that would be great. But here's the reality. 75% of Catholics aren't going to church and 50% of marriages end in divorce. What happens to all of those teenagers that are affected by those statistics? Where do they go? Where do they go? I, no, I want an answer. Like, I want to, like, where do they go? So, oh, no, well, they're just going to stumble into church one day when they're an adult? No. So youth ministry becomes... a. It, 
I would say if we lived in a perfect world, Adam, we don't need youth ministry, right? Or psychologists. Or, or psychologists <laughs> and counselors. And if we lived in a perfect world, um, you know, we don't even need religious education. Right. Because parents would do it. Right. They would all be married, all involved in their faith, and all doing religious ed in their home. And they'd all go to mass together. But guess what? We don't live in that world. That's unfortunate. So what do we do about it? And so youth ministry fills a gap that is left in our broken world, and it's needed. It, it just is. So you're talking to someone who has a heart for all those kids who fall through the cracks. Mm -hmm. You know, do I see the fact that if we live in a perfect world, we weren't needed? Absolutely. That's just not where we are. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Question number four. Yeah. He talked about his kid wanting to be a chef, watching this cool chef show. Yeah. What did you want to be when you were growing up? Um. Yeah. Nothing? Yeah, no, I always wanted to be something. What? <laughs> uh, this is a safe place, yeah, Paul. No, I always wanted to. I w wanted to play sports forever. Okay, so that was a physically from the like I, I just wanted to like yeah I wanted to play sports forever, and and that was it. So a ball player. Yeah, and you went far with that. Yeah, I went further than a lot of people. You know, uh, the bad thing is that like I didn't think past that all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, my identity was wrapped up into that. And it shouldn't have been. And so I had to like play catch up a little bit with my identity, but God takes care of that, you know, and I wanted to do other things, but that was like the main thing, you know, that was, that was the main thing. Cool. All right. Question number five, he mentioned a scenario where there's an agnostic dad and a faithful mom and they watch this video together and they can enjoy it. Is that really how the world, like in your experience, when people are agnostic or people are you know, they actually choose not to participate in the faith. Is it possible to change their mind? Does that actually happen? Well, you, you talk about changing the mind. I, you know, the word conversion, metanoia, means to rethink. So we're, we're all having this process of conversion in our life. We're, we're rethinking the way we're living, the way we should live, how we should live. That's how conversion begins. You know, I need to change my ways, I move from from this way of doing things because it's not working, my sinful ways or whatever the case may be. But we believe conversion is ongoing. Like, like we're constantly growing in, in holiness, hopefully. And so if I'm an agnostic and I'm looking at someone who has joy and peace and understanding and calm in the midst of storms, and I'm thinking, where do they get that? Because I don't have it. I begin to rethink the way I'm living and look at the way that someone else is living. And I think, I want that. So this process, although it may be slower for some people, begins to happen. I do believe that people's hearts and minds can be changed through uh, them really seeing an example of someone living their faith. Cool. All right. So I have hope out there, folks. All right. So our last Christmas question on our Christmas six-pack. Christmas question. <laughs> what are your favorite, let's say, two or three Christmas traditions, either in your family or family of origin or just something you've always done? Stop top two or three Christmas traditions for Paul George. Oh my gosh. Movies you always watch, something you always drink, something you always eat. Okay, so favorite tradition, decorating the tree and drinking eggnog. Nice. It's the only time of year I drink eggnog. Yeah. When does that happen? That, that usually happens. We're sinful people <laughs> in the George home. <laughs> so that usually happens right after Thanksgiving. Nice. 
only because we're off as a family. You know, the kids are off of school, and we just want to enjoy it. It's a good it, time, yeah. And it's just not busy. I know some people decorate, you know, they follow more of the liturgical calendar, and they don't decorate their tree until Christmas. And then they, but we don't take it down till the Epiphany, like till the Christmas season liturgically is over. But we do decorate early. Mm. Not like Halloween early. Okay. <laughs> so, but Thanksgiving early. We do. We're very sin, sinful. No, no. Don't judge. All right. Number two tradition then. Uh, number two tradition would be um, waking up Christmas morning, just us as a family. We don't have guests Christmas morning. We don't have people. It's just our unit. And we exchange gifts and we do this. Well, we try to. Everyone gets three presents at, for the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Oh, is that the presents? Gold, frankincense, yeah, and myrrh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Dang. Yeah. Rich family. Yeah, yeah. We 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 go hard to the paint. Uh and they might they get other things, but like that's that's kind of we do a little that's our theological significance on Christmas Day and then uh Jesus goes into the manger, not the real Jesus, but like a little nice thing of majiggy. All right, and I have to get your favorite Christmas movie. Um Elf. <laughs> you didn't even hesitate. Yeah. And I understand why. Well, I'm not much of a movie person that likes to watch a movie over and over. But mm-hmm. if I have to watch a Christmas movie over and over, I can handle Elf because it always makes me laugh. <laughs> so <laughs> the third Christmas tradition would be taking down the Christmas tree and burning it. Have you ever nice. set your dry Christmas tree on fire? It's like a matchbook. Dude, it's awesome. Yeah. Don't do it inside your house, though. No, so unless you unless you prepared the area. Yeah, so that's my advice. <laughs> Don't do it. That's great Christmas advice right there. The house, but set it on fire, man. Do it up as a sign of the flame of Jesus, I guess, entering the world. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, Merry Christmas, Paul. <laughs> All right. Yeah, this has been great. So good show. Thanks to Chris uh, Mueller for coming on, and and Adam, have a great Christmas, man. And everyone out there, you can listen to the show, the podcast, paulgeorge.la, iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud. Um, share it. Listen to it. Thank you so much for your support. And we'll talk to you again. Paul George Show. God bless.